Hi, I'm Rachel, and you're listening to the Tipsy Traveler podcast, where we talk about cocktails, travel stories, and how-tos. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to the sixth episode of the Tipsy Traveler podcast. Today I have with me the married mixologist, and instead of me trying to do my best to piece together an intro for them, I'm just going to have them introduce themselves. So Hannah and Kevin, take it away. Hey, Um, I'm Hannah. And I'm Kevin. And we're the Married Mixologists. We are both retired bartenders who were really bored uh, during quarantine. And I am also a wedding photographer and had nothing to post because we're obviously not shooting weddings right now. So we decided to make a silly cocktail video that went crazy and people demanded more so yeah that pretty much covers it we we love making drinks we love drinking drinks and we don't make drinks for the public anymore so this is kind of our way to do that legally i think we were sitting on the couch one day and i was like i really miss going to a bar and sitting at a bar and talking with our friends how can we get somewhat close to that in quarantine and that's that was the birth of the first video that we made, which was meant to be a joke. And from that has turned into this really amazing, fun tutorial series called The Married Mixologists. <laughs> awesome. So I think we'll dive into some of the more travel related things in a minute. I know that you want to talk about some of your solo experiences, Hannah. I think first, though, let's talk about cocktails. Every week I have a cocktail of the week, and this week I wanted you guys to kind of bring something in since you're the experts. <laughs> so what is the cocktail of the week this week? So we decided to go with a daiquiri because rum is available on pretty much any continent. And it's a, a cocktail that's really easy to make specific to a region. So using whatever fresh fruits or herbs you can find wherever you're traveling, you can make a region-specific drink while you're on the road. And it's just a very, it's an easy ratio to remember, and it can go with most spirits, you know, turn it into a gimlet or a lemon drop or whatever with just changing a couple ingredients. But I think just the framework of a daiquiri is a good travel-based cocktail. Yeah, it's really easy to grab whatever fresh produce you can get, like fresh fruit you can get from whatever local market you might have near you whenever you're traveling and just include like fresh berries, fresh citrus. Like there's just so much you can do with the bones of that cocktail. So we did a basil daiquiri in our video. The daiquiri framework is just two ounces of rum, one ounce of lime, and a half an ounce of simple syrup. Just the basic, easiest recipe, and you can stir that or shake it or just chill it over ice. And you can mix in whatever berries. Instead of basil, you could use blackberries, just kind of whatever you have. Throw it in that two to one to one half ratio and it's going to be delicious we use basil i think that's right now herbs are going crazy so for us it was what we could get our hands on locally here in oregon but genuinely like any addition can be perfect just shaken or muddled into the cocktail to make it a little extra special and represent whatever region you happen to be in at the time 
I love it. And I'm also realizing that we stumbled upon some raspberry rum the other day. And now I'm like, I might make a daiquiri Ooh, with it. Yeah, that would be delicious. It would be delicious. Yeah, fruity daiquiris are definitely the best. But you could also go savory. Like the basil daiquiri was definitely a little bit more savory. You could go sweet or savory with it. And that's the beauty of it. It's really up to your taste. So let's hop into travel. I know that you've done a good bit of solo traveling. And as a female, I feel like that's something that not that necessarily we're discouraged from, but I know that I was discouraged from as a kid, especially like it was just kind of an unsafe thought, but I've grown up and done a lot of solo female traveling. And so I would love to hear about kind of your first jump into that trip alone. Growing up, for some reason, had this fixation on going to Ireland when I grew up. And when I was in college, my life was coming to a natural transition where I was kind of completing junior college. All my roommates were moving out slash getting married. And I was single. And I was talking to a friend of mine on New Year's Eve at a big New Year's Eve party and probably a little drunk. (laughs) Um, And I was just spilling the beans about how I've been, I just am craving to go to Ireland and I just don't know how I'm ever going to make that happen. And I kept saying that, like, I just don't see how that could ever happen because I was working minimum wage job, going to college for the first time in a big city, paying rent. And she kind of just said, you know what? You just need to make it happen. Just book the flight. Just do it. And so that night I got home from the New Year's Eve party and got on the website or whatever website it was that I booked the tickets and just picked a date and booked a flight. Um, (laughs) And it was like the most exhilarating press of a button I think I had ever had at that point in my life. But just like, okay, I have a date to get there. And so it really drove me to, you know, figure out a way to save the money that I needed by that time. And so I figured out some really fun, creative ways to just like work extra hours. That's kind of when I started taking on photography as more of a job and less of a hobby to make some side money doing photography. And it was in June, I don't know the exact date, but in June I flew to Ireland by myself and I did meet the first week of Ireland. I had a couple friends go with me, but I was there for over four months traveling on my own and went to Spain for a week and Scotland for a week within those four months. So that was definitely the most memorable as well as my first time. And I kind of like knocked so much out with that one trip. Out of curiosity, I'm planning on making an entire episode about how to start budgeting for a long international trip. But how did you do it? Did you just kind of start guesstimating what your expenses (laughs) would be? Or I really had no idea what I was doing. So pretty much I ended up saving about five grand and getting a credit card. And within four months, I almost maxed out that credit card and spent every (laughs) penny of the five grand. So I could have for sure saved more. I honestly, and to this day, just like don't know how to budget for travel because the money conversions were confusing for me because the money was different between Scotland and Ireland and Spain and the conversions and like everything was just, 
I was just like, I don't care. I'm here, so I might as well spend my money. It doesn't matter because I have to spend my money because I'm here. So I didn't really pay much attention to it, which I should have. Like, looking back, I had originally planned on staying much longer, but I basically got to a point where I was like, well, I'm down to one pack and no money. So I think I just need, it's time to go home. So did you start with multiple backpacks? <laughs> Is that? <laughs> yeah. So when you sent me your text earlier, we were talking about like, what was one of the mistakes that I made? And I got off the plane in Dublin, Ireland with a backpack attached to my backpack and a duffel bag and trudged around Dublin looking for my friends and getting from Airbnb to Airbnb with probably over 50 pounds of luggage (laughs) because I was still very much in a phase of my I mean, it was the first big traveling thing that I'd done on my own and I wanted to look cute everywhere I went and naturally like five (laughs) pairs of shoes So that's definitely one of the biggest mistakes is just, guys, you don't need that much clothes (laughs) when you're traveling abroad. But I also just, I knew I was going to be there across a couple different seasons and didn't know like what the weather was going to be like. And I was living in San Diego, California at the time, which was always warm and sunny. And what I was expecting from Ireland was this really freezing cold rainy drizzly which it is most of the time but not all the time and so I just was packing super heavy because I just didn't know what to expect and looking back now I definitely could have gotten away with way way less I think that's a pretty common mistake for people who are first starting out and traveling because I also remember taking like a giant like checked size bag to my first trip in Europe and I was there for like two weeks. I didn't need like 40 pounds of luggage for two (laughs) weeks, but it was like, oh, what if I need this? What if I need this? I'm in a foreign country. Like what if I can't find toothpaste? And it's like other people brush their teeth. Like it's crazy to me the things I thought I needed on some of my first trips. So (laughs) I will say like, I think a smart thing to do is just leave the toiletries at home and just buy that once you get there for a couple reasons. One, products are different in different countries and we're so used to what we have here in America, but it's really cool to be able to experience products from different countries like that. Just day-to-day stuff is so different (laughs) over in, in Europe in any country really. So that's kind of a fun way to experience that culture but also because it just totally lightens up your load (laughs) in one really small practical way right and it's kind of a waste because you have to buy like tiny little travel size things in the states to be able to take it on a plane when you could just like get there and buy a full bottle of shampoo if you're staying for a long time 100 percent do you have like a particular story that is like this is the the most like monumental or memorable thing that I've done as a female solo traveler? That four months abroad was just in itself so monumental for so many reasons. But since then, I have done a lot of traveling on my own and it's just like that trip kicked off a lifestyle I feel for me and just an appreciation for other cultures and I from there kind of just had the bug I mean people talk about it all the time but just like once you get the bug it's (laughs) you've caught it and you can't get rid of it 
So out of curiosity, I did not prep you for this question, but I just thought of it. <laughs> How does having a husband fit into solo traveling and like that lifestyle? Well, I'm really blessed to have a partner who knows my heart and allows me to, if I'm like, I'm going on this trip. He's like, have fun. I'll be here when you get back. But we've also loved traveling. We haven't traveled internationally yet together. No. Ooh. But we want to. <laughs> we do travel well from what we have traveled together it's we always have just so much fun and we travel very similarly but differently enough he's he's much more of a planner I like to just wake up and take the day as it comes and he's like well this is closed today so we can't actually do that and I'm like oh well I guess we would have figured that out eventually but I'm glad to know ahead of time now so it's nice having a travel partner who's who's by nature just so much more prepared because I'm not but yeah, we would love to travel. He's traveled internationally before, but not with me. Kevin, do you want to share some of your fun travel stories or experiences? So my probably favorite trip was I spent two weeks in Japan playing football over there, and that was a lot of fun. I had a host family and just got to try a lot of local cuisine. The funniest part of the whole trip was I got lost and was trying to talk to a guy and I was being really dumb and like speaking very slowly and trying to use the little bits of Japanese that I did know. And after I totally made an ass out of myself, the guy was like, I don't know, man, I'm from China. I'm just as lost as you are. And, and so Oops. that it, it made me feel like, like a dweeb, but I ended up traveling with that guy for a couple hours and we found where we were both going and it worked out great. But I just, I loved just seeing the world in a culinary sense, like trying different food. I went to Japan and I was a pretty picky eater and I came back and was like, I will try anything. Do either one of you have any advice for someone who wants to do like solo travel, but might be a little bit apprehensive because they don't feel confident enough in their like travel abilities or planning abilities. I was super glad that the first place I traveled solo was to an English speaking country and the dialect that the Irish speak is very sometimes hard to understand, but you can always figure out what they're trying to say because it is English. It's just heavily accented to us and it's so safe. I feel like traveling to you know South America for the first time as a solo traveler would be a little bit more dangerous and tricky if you don't know your way around public transport systems in a different language that can be tricky not to say that you shouldn't do it but just really do your research and kind of figure out also speaking the language if you're going to a country that speaks a different language is helpful but I guess for me if you're really kind of nervous but you want to travel alone, go somewhere that speaks English to start. Because that made me feel, when I would get lost all the time, I would get lost all the time. My phone was constantly dead and it still is to this day. Just being able to pull anyone off the street and say, hey, this is where I'm trying to get to was so nice. And I just, it made me feel so much more comfortable. I also lived out of my camper shell I built in, in my truck and we can talk about that a little bit more extensively if you want but I during that time always had a taser just in case and I was glad to have it but also hated that I had to ha felt like I had to have it at the same time it's kind of a weird balance because I've always considered myself to be like brave and strong and so I've wanted to prove a point of being a female solo traveler but I also don't want to be unprepared or yeah 
find myself in a situation where like I can't handle things or I feel unsafe and then like not know what to do about it. So there's like a weird balance of like I need to be cautious but I don't have to be paranoid or like paralyzed and like not go because I'm concerned about safety issues. So there's a weird there's there's a middle ground there somewhere and I just Kevin and I were just talking about this before we hopped on with you but as a female solo traveler it's an extremely different experience as it would be for Kevin as a male solo traveler for that reason we feel we need to be a little bit more cautious we need to double check the streets we're walking down at night we need to feel like we need to carry a taser in different cities and whatnot and those are thoughts that don't cross a guy's mind when they're walking down a street at night alone it's not something that they have to even think about if you're feeling nervous, I would say carrying something like that. It's it's nice to just know that you have that. And if you're feeling a little bit sketched out, like I would just put it in my front pocket and keep my hand on it. If I was in a place where I felt like I wasn't safe, I would just keep it close by and always had my hand on it and ready to pull out if I needed it at any time. And thank God I've never had to, but it was really comforting knowing that I had that as an option if I needed it just like an extra safety measure just in case so we talked about one of your embarrassing mistakes kevin did you have any (laughs) no i didn't really have a lot of embarrassing travel most of my travel was pretty uneventful (laughs) i mean like she said i plan everything out so most everything went the way that it was supposed to I'm not going to share one of my travel embarrassing stories. I feel like I embarrass myself every week on my podcast. But a story that I know my boyfriend hates is that one time we were in Italy and we asked an Asian gentleman to take our photo. Like I gave him my phone. And then after he handed it back to us, Brian like bowed. And the guy was like, (laughs) (laughs) Like, I was like, okay, why are you looking at me like that? And just like walked away. And Brian was like, that's the most embarrassing thing I've ever done in my entire life. happens i think that like there's something in your brain that's like i want to be accommodating like i want to meet people where they're at but like it's just kind of this weird uncomfortable like you don't actually know who they are (laughs) yeah and people have such a different perception of americans than americans have of americans so i'm so over polite when i'm traveling in a different country as an american because i feel like people just think we're assholes (laughs) just like I'm not I swear I'm not (laughs) oh that's a that's a fun thing to talk about what are some of the American stereotypes that you've heard while you're traveling just that like in Ireland they were really good at telling me how they thought about Americans (laughs) and they just think we're the cockiest like okay guys America's not that great They're just like, okay, you have all these weird healthcare policies. You guys are like extremely unhealthy. You were stupid. You don't speak other languages because, I mean, English is taught as a second language from pretty early age in a lot of different countries. We're very blessed to speak one of the languages that everybody wants to speak across the entire globe. And so when we, like when I was in Spain, they had a similar attitude that a lot of Americans have about speaking English is like, well, you're in Spain now, you need to speak our language. So Spain was actually funny because they didn't really have an interest in speaking English and wanted anybody who was there to speak their language, which I feel like Americans often take that stance. 
like, well, you're in America, speak English. But a lot of other cultures do really prioritize English as a second language, and that's kind of a blessing. I feel like that was a divergence from your question. <laughs> I don't remember my question. <laughs> Sorry. I think you're asking, like, what we noticed people. Think. Oh, stereotypes. Yeah, yeah, stereotypes or misconceptions. When I was in Japan, my host family would feed me unconsumable amounts of food because they thought that that's just how Americans ate. Like mm. they would make like a nine course breakfast and I would eat my plate and then they would fill it up again. And it's kind of, they get insulted if you don't finish all of your food. And so after like the third plate, I'd have to be like, I literally cannot eat anything else. <laughs> and my host mom would be like, no, but you're American. Like you, you eat lots of food. And like, not to this extent what at all <laughs> numerous places in japan they would overfeed you because they that they just were trying to be hospitable but it just it made it so i felt so sluggish the entire time i was traveling <laughs> you're just eating four helpings at every yeah. meal <laughs> one thing i did notice as an american going to foreign countries was how connected culture other cultures are to their history and how they got to where they are and I just don't feel that connected to American history as an American yes I know what the history books say but I don't feel proud of it a lot of it and I don't think it's repeated enough I mean just with Irish folklore and like all that is it's all part of their history and we would be driving my host families would like drive me past a rock and just be like that rock used to be a magical horse and this witch turned it into stone and they know like all this so dope and it's like (laughs) we don't have that in america we can't drive by a, a rock on the side of the road and tell a story about it and it created this weird like longing that I, I wish I had something like that that I was proud to pass on from generation to generation that I don't feel like we have. I feel like there's like this trendy thing of like knowing where you're actually from as an American, yes. right? So like everyone in America, unless they're like Native American, they know that they're not from here. And so like we backtrack, whereas like people who are Irish, they're like, oh, I'm Irish. Like that's, you know, they don't try and figure out like, where did I come from before that? Like, so like I'm Irish. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm not American. I'm actually Irish. (laughs) And Americans are always like, well, yeah, like I'm 50% Irish and 50% German and like blah, blah, blah. I can track back my great, 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 great grandmother who like migrated over. And it's like, but why? Like, why can't, why are we not just like, no, this is our, like, we're American. This is our history. Right. It's so weird that we're, like, we immediately want to find out where we're actually from because we don't want to be associated right. with America. Don't, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I mean, I'm half Mexican, and so I, I'm i always, like, that's my go-to. It's, like, when people are, like, well, what, like, what, what ethnicity are you? And I always start with that because I'm more proud of that than just, like, being from America one of the stereotypes that I found when I'm traveling of Americans is that we're really, really like loud and boisterous mm-hmm. and like over the top. So like when someone asks you like, oh, how's your food? A normal person would be like, oh, it's really good. Thanks. But an American like it is so great. Like, thank you so much. <laughs> and they're just like, t- like really over the top yes. and like overemphasize everything. And I was like, I feel personally attacked because that is exactly how I am. Yeah. I had one of my host dads imitate American speaking he was British and he was talking about how stupid Americans sound when they talk because we overutilized 
like and um and you know and British are very direct and very proud of that. So any other thoughts about traveling or cocktails that you want to share with the people? <laughs> I would say just go to go to a dive bar wherever you're at and just kind of see what people are drinking mm-hmm. and go from there because that's usually what is most drank in that region. So if you want to drink your way through an area, just watch what the people around you are doing. Totally. And some of the best conversations I've had in my life were at a bar in a different country talking to a local and just hearing their stories i've gotten recipes that i still have written in my journal (laughs) and just like some of the best stories and connections that i've made traveling abroad especially as a solo female traveler was made in a bar obviously women do not be dumb when you're alone drinking in a bar don't accept drinks from people it's not handed directly to you all those safety rules but sitting in a bar and talking to people is a great way to experience their culture and kind of hear their story. I think that's really great advice. And I think that's one of the things that's kept me continuing to solo travel because I'm such an extrovert. And so I don't like being on my own. So I have to make friends. And that's like by far the quickest way to make friends when you're traveling. It's like, I don't do well with like a week and a half by myself. Like what, what am I going to talk about? left alone with my own thoughts (laughs) totally so that's my go-to is like where's the quickest place i can make friends (laughs) yes a bar a bar for sure (laughs) well cool so i guess in the final thoughts of the podcast i would love for you guys to tell people where they can find you on the internet or how they can support you right now i know times are a little strange so i would love for them to promote small businesses like you and yeah tell tell us where we can find you thank you yeah we are on instagram at the married mixologists also facebook.com slash the married mixologists and coming soon we will be the married mixologists.com working on that this week we're going live every thursday on our instagram to do live cocktail tutorials we're putting out a new cocktail tutorial every day on Instagram as of right now. Probably won't last forever, guys. <laughs> it's a lot of work. But we love, we love, love, love getting DMs about different cocktails you want to see us make. We would love to do some suggestions from you guys as well as stay tuned. We have so much coming as far as we're going to be partnering with other local businesses to bring you home bar kits because a lot of requests for like what do I even need to buy to get to start a home bar so we're gonna be partnering with some other businesses to get that going for you guys so just stay tuned everything is changing every day and so much is gonna happen uh coming up shortly Thank you so much, guys, for joining me. I really do appreciate it. I know that this is kind of a new venture for you guys, the Married Mixologist, as well as podcasts. Like, it's new for me, too. So I really appreciate you taking the time to to share your thoughts on travel and drinks with me. On next week's episode, I'm going to be talking about how to choose a location whenever you decide that you want to go on a trip, whether that's by yourself or with a group of people, how to kind of narrow that down, or at least how I've narrowed it down. And I'm excited to hear what you guys think. And if you have any comments for me or Hannah or Kevin, feel free to reach out to any of us on social media or on the link on the podcast and hope you guys keep listening bye
I never know how to end these. I'm like, every week is different. I don't have a sign off. It's just like my ramblings at the end. <laughs>